Thank you for joining us on the Access Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Kurt Ames. We're in the middle of a series, and it's part four tonight. We're going through the book of Galatians. And so part one, two, and three, if, if you're joining us tonight, we've been talking a lot about what Paul talks about to the church of Galatia, which happens to be the grace of God. And so he's talking about this gospel of grace, and he's presenting it uh, to the, the church in Galatia. And so one of the things that I've been saying every single week is we're all, I'm sorry, what? We're all about that grace. So, and, and, and I thought I was being original, you know, because when I was putting this whole thing together, uh, man, you guys blew it, man. I, I, I was going to set this whole thing up. And anyway, so now I got to get right to it. So here's what happened Tuesday. We've been saying, I'm all about that grace, you know, the Megan Trainer song. And so that's what popped into my head when I was writing the first sermon. We should be all about God's grace, right? Well, so Tuesday night, I uh, am out with my family and we went to this pumpkin patch. And so I'm at the pumpkin patch and I get uh, back to the car. I open up my phone and I have a text message from one of our access attendees. His name is Deontay. Uh, I don't know if Deontay's here anywhere tonight, but uh, he sends me this text message, and he says, you'll never believe this, but I was just walking through the mall, and I found a picture of this shirt, so he sends me a picture of that, and then I showed up today, and I said, oh, I'm showing that for sure, you know, what are the odds, what are the chances of somebody putting it on a t-shirt, because somebody else told me I said this from stage, but I don't remember saying this from stage, man, it'd be awesome if they, somebody put that on a t-shirt, right, so then I showed up tonight, and uh, I uh, had this sitting in my, uh, you know, and I just happened to have a button. You know, I was able to do that because I have a button down shirt on. So. They made me do it, I swear. I didn't want to do it. I hate it. And it's online now, too. Welcome, everybody who's watching online. Hope you guys are enjoying yourselves. So we've been talking a lot about the grace of God. If you guys have missed anything, I'm not going to do a big recap uh, like I have done the first three messages of the previous messages. The cool thing is you guys can check them out now um, on live stream, YouTube, and podcast. So go ahead and go do that. I'm not going to do a real full recap uh, because something happened Tuesday, and I'm going to share something out of a book. Uh, it's Brian Houston's new book, and he's the founder, and he's the global senior pastor of Hillsong Church. Uh, many of you have heard of Hillsong Church but Tuesday morning, I was in a meeting here uh, with some staff members at church, and in that meeting, a guy uh, that I absolutely love and adore, whose name is Ken Reynolds, opened up this book that I'm about to read, and he read an excerpt out of it that I'm going to read to you that struck me to the core. And after he got done reading it, I, I, and even while he was reading it, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that is exactly everything that we've been talking about in the first three weeks of this series. I got to read that on Thursday night. So I said, Ken, I need you to send me that. And he says, the book's already on your desk. So the book was waiting for me on my desk, and I want to open up to that, uh, that page. And um, it's the end of, I think, uh, chapter five, but uh, the book, again, is called uh, Live, Love, Lead by Brian Houston, I would highly suggest. There's many of our staff members that are reading this book right now. Phenomenal book and a great man of God. Matter of fact, we have one of our worship team members is gonna be heading off to Hillsong here pretty soon, I think in a couple months, so she's gonna be in good hands. So I wanna read this to you guys today, and this is really gonna sum up for you guys the first three weeks, and then we'll jump into our uh, fourth edition of the series here. So, 
says this. Today, we're called to love the people who, are per, who perhaps historically the church has never reached. We're called to love all people with the love of Christ because his father loves all people, wants to bless all people, and wants to save all people. I never want to become one of those people whose attitude and body language convey condemnation, judgment, and condescension. I want to be someone with arms wide open, heart wide open, and a mind wide open to loving the people around me. There is nobody who doesn't deserve to walk into their local church and have others look them in the eye and understand that we are all in the same position. We are all sinful, flawed, selfish, and imperfect people saved only by the grace of God and the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to agree, but we do have to invite them in. The church is not called to be an enforcer of rules, but an outpost of grace. You and I are called to be dispensers of God's grace, purveyors of love both inside and outside the church. It must be the tone of our lives. God has no favorites, shows no partiality, and values no individual, group, or nation over another. While we want to love with the same all-inclusive embrace as our Savior, the reality is that we often fall short. I'm convinced we have to keep our hearts open before God, now catch this, and ask him to deal with us, to keep us compassionate, merciful, loving, and aware of the grace that we've been given. When we live out the fullness of this awareness of God's grace in our lives, then we are compelled to show it and to share it with others. May we always be people who understand the power of the gospel and understand that God has no favorites. You're his favorite. I'm his favorite. Just as the drunk or the street worker down the road is his favorite, we are all his favorites. You can enjoy the abundant life filled with the loving presence of your father and in turn share the unlimited resources of his love with every single person that you encounter. With Jesus as our example, we who have been given grace are called to shine it into a dark world. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Unconditional, inclusive love fuels the big life that we long to live. Somebody say amen to that. That's a good word. I highly suggest if you have time, grab this book and read it. It's an amazing book. So let's jump into part four tonight. You guys ready? You guys ready? I mean, I feel like church is already over, you know, but you guys showed up, so I got to give you something, right? All right, part four, Galatians three. We're gonna, we, we ended on Galatians three last week, but we're going to touch on the tail end of Galatians three, so we'll pick it up there. Verse 25 says this, but now... You have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Friends, God never intended to be your religion. He's always intended on being your father. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Ladies, before you get all offended, oh, I'm not a son. What this word means is children, okay? It's translated children, and and this is why you shouldn't be offended also is because 
us men in this room get to be called the bride of Christ. So how do you make that, you know, how do you think that makes us feel? Awkward. It feels awkward, okay? But we're known as the bride of Christ. Verse 28 says this. In Christ's family, there is no division. Oh, I could stop right there and preach a whole sermon. In Christ's family, there is no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, we are all equal. Every single person in this room, no matter what your upbringing was, no matter where you came from or what your story is, we are all equal because the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. Amen. Let's go on. Verse, this, we're going to jump into chapter 4 now. Verse 4. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman. Stop. Because it's real easy for us to forget how amazing the immaculate conception was. <laughs> that Jesus chose to leave heaven and to be born of a woman, a mama, just like you and I were into the same world under the same rules and regulations as we were. What is the greatest miracle of all time? That might be it. I don't even know if it's the resurrection. That's crazy. And it's easy to forget and easy to overlook. He says this, though, too. He was also born under the conditions of the law. Jesus was actually born under the same conditions of the law, which we talked about last week, as we were. Why? So that he might redeem that word redeem is what we're going to be talking about, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. That's a little bit of strange terminology, kidnapped by the law. What does that mean? Last week we talked about it. The Ten Commandments. The law was put in place, right, and none of us could keep any of those Ten Commandments. And, and the Bible also says that if you've broken one, then you've broken all of them, and the penalty for sin is death. So there has to be a payment. So why was the law put in place? The law was put in place to lead us to Christ because we could not fulfill the law. So we needed a savior, so it points us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes, sets us free, which the next verse says, thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure. You ever wanted to know if you were really saved? No? Okay. Deer in headlights. I don't know if I'm supposed to answer that one. Do I got to raise my hand? No, you don't got to raise your hand. It's just a question. You can tell for sure, we're going to find out. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives crying out, Papa, Father, listen to me. You can tell that you belong to God because you want to talk to God. You want to meet with God and you want to hear from God. That's how you can tell that you are saved. The spirit of God inside of you wants to conversate with your heavenly father. Before I got, before I got born again, before I surrendered my life and said, Jesus, I'm all in. Whatever you say goes, I, no more me, it's all you. When I made that decision, before I made that decision, I could care less to talk to God. Didn't even really know truly if God existed. I, I struggled. I didn't want anything to do with the church. And I'm a pastor now, people. I didn't want anything to do with people talking to me about religion. I didn't want anything to do with God at all. And then all of a sudden, I got born again. I got saved. And then what happened? All of a sudden, I wanted to know 
God. I wanted to talk with God. I wanted to be a better father. So I said, God, what do you say about that? Open up the Bible. Hey, I wanted to be a better husband. What do you say about it? God, open up the Bible. Read the word. I all of a sudden wanted to go to church. I wanted to hang out with other Christians. I can still remember. I didn't know any Christians. I knew one. And that dude gave his life to Jesus while we were in college. Came to my mom's house in between our freshman and sophomore year and says, man, I'm leaving the football team. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I was like, good riddance. I don't even know what you're talking about, man. You Dude, you're, you're, you're leaving this for, you know, football for Jesus? Like, good luck. Gave my life to the Lord eight years later, and guess who I remembered? My man that came to the house and said, I know Jesus Christ, and I know what his plans and purposes are for me. Hadn't seen him in eight years. First time I showed up to this church, saw him. That's God. And all I remember thinking, July 4th weekend, I saw somebody else out at Green Lake. Uh, we were out at, at this family gathering. I saw one of the other, uh, my buddies that uh, used to play at Grand Valley with me. I was like, hey, man, where's Greg? Where's Greg? I can't get it. I don't know his number. Where's he at? Where's he at? Where's he at? I don't know, man. I haven't talked to him in five years. The very next day, showed up here and found Greg. But I wanted to know more about spiritual things and your spirit, when you get born again, you want to know God more and more and this hunger and this thirst is in you. No matter what you blame your, your spiritual dryness on, listen, it's nobody's fault but yours. It's not God's. It's not God's because the spirit of God in you wants more of them. Amen? Okay. So, verse seven. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God Make it plain that you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if you are a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for this word, God. I just pray that you'd help me preach it real good, that it would bless your people. We do all this for you. In Jesus' name, we all together said, amen. amen. It was 2003, January 2003. I had just graduated college 2002, had just won a national championship and uh, this Division II Heisman Trophy, and, and uh, I got asked to play in this Division I All-Star game called the East-West Shrine game that takes place out in San Francisco. So they called me up and says, hey, we want you to play in here. We want you to be one of the quarterbacks for the East team. I said, put me on a plane, I'm coming. So they got me on a plane, hopped over to... San Francisco showed up, and it was about the third day, second or third day, I can't, I can't really remember, but it, it's irrelevant. Uh, we had to do this portion of, in the morning, it was like 8, 8.30 in the morning, somewhere in there, where we had to come down and we had to file. We were in this five-star hotel, and we had to file along this big, long hallway, and we were in alphabetical order, and my last name is Ains, so I'm the first one to go, and what we... Like when you're getting um, scouted to play in the NFL, scouts from the NFL teams will come in. And so this is what had happened before. They'd come to your university. You show up in the locker room. They, they um, do your height, your weight. They measure your, your, your hand size and all this. And it's, you know, but it's really not that big of a deal. Um, they've done it before. But I had never experienced what I'm about to tell you. 
before this way. So we, we line up in this hallway, and there's these two huge double doors, like these French doors that you got to push into. And behind it, none of us knew if it was like an auditorium or is this just a, a small little room. But the scouts were going to be in there, and they were going to be doing height, weight, measurements, looking at you. So I, you know, I'm the first one to go through from both teams. So I, I was like, whatever. But before, before we went into the room, here's what they said. They came up. Somebody walks up and says, men, close off. Shirts come off. And then they said, down to your boxers. And I looked at this guy for a minute because I had a problem because I didn't have anything on underneath my shorts. And uh, I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm free. So uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> So I said, this guy ain't got nothing on under these, man. It's early, you know, like just wore shorts last night to bed, you know. And uh, he says, all right, well, don't take them off. You know, I said, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. And I uh, appreciate that. And, and so imagine now all these, all these guys, these, you know, potential NFL football players are down in their boxers now. I'm in my shorts, half naked. I bust through the doors. The doors split wide open, and the first people I see are Tony Dungy sitting in the front row. Tony Dungy, if you don't know him, was a head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, won a Super Bowl. Then I see Mike Tice. Mike Tice was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm going, what the heck? And it was literally, literally more people were there than there were in this room, and it was, an, it was a huge auditorium, and they were all sitting down. And I would have come from, like, stage left or your right, where I would have come through, and now I'm, I'm freaking out. My heart's pounding. I'm like, what is going on? And then they lead me over to this stage. Got to get up on top of this stage and stand in front of all of them, half naked. I got to get on a scale. There's two guys around me. They weigh me, and then they shout out, Kurt Ames, 216. I put on a little since then. Just... <laughs> 216. Everybody's jotting down their notes, you know. Great, 216. Then they lead you over to this other place. And I'm thinking, you know, what is going on? They measure my hands. They yell out those measurements. They take my height, so on and so forth. And then to make it even worse and more degrading, there was an aisle that went right off the middle of the stage. So when I came off of the stage, I had to come off the stage and walk through the audience half naked while they're all looking at you like this, up and down, like looking at your body. Does he have any abs? Does he not? You know, is literally, and I got through uh, this, this audience and I walked back out into the hallway and everybody looks at me, the, the, my teammates, and they're like, man, what, what, what was it like in there? And I was like, oh, I, I, I'm going to go to my room now, you know? I don't know what just happened. I mean, I remember feeling like, what the heck just happened in there? And I went back to my room and I started thinking about it. And I started getting a little upset. I'm like, I felt violated. I felt literally like, I felt like a piece of meat. I felt like I was up on this auction block waiting for the highest bidder to bid on me. It was the most bizarre experience I've ever had in my life. I want to transfer back and, and, and uh, go right back into Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to break this down, and I'm going to tie it all together, because I told you that story for a reason. It says this out of the NIV, I believe. It says, God sent his son 
born of a woman, born under the law to redeem. I know we hear that word a lot in church, but I don't think we have a concept of what this word really means. So we're going to talk about it. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has also made you an heir. According to scripture, Jesus came to redeem slaves. In order for us to truly grasp more on this, we need to take a deeper look at what that word redeem means. So I uh, was sitting in, in my house when I was going through that particular scripture and the word redeem was there and I thought to myself, what does that word mean to me? And I immediately thought of what you're about to see right now and I wanted to share that with you just so you can you know, have a glimpse into my mind for a moment. Got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. Where did you find that? Some kid back in town. Traded the van for it straight up. I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. You know, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself. <laughs> Still want to go to Aspen? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's go, buddy. Isn't that awesome? True story. When I was playing uh, with the Lions one practice, I was uh, on a knee behind the huddle, and, and some of us uh, teammates were... were uh, just sitting there talking, and I remember this guy, Oz Hakeem. I don't know if anybody of you remember that name. He was a receiver back in the day, and so I was next to Oz, and, and Oz ends up looking up behind us, and what would happen during practice is there was this big kind of platform inside of the, the training facility where they would put the cameras so that they could film practice so that we could break down the film later, watch it, learn, and all that. So up on this platform, Oz looks at, at us, and he goes, hey, man. Ain't that the dude from Dumb and Dumber up there? And we turned around and looked up, and Harry was standing up there. Jeff Daniels is from Michigan, so he's a huge Detroit Lions fan, so he's standing up there with the crazy hair and everything, you know. Doesn't even know his real name. He just, hey, isn't that the dude from Dumb and Dumber up there? Sure enough, it was Harry. But here's the thing with, with redeem, where he says, totally redeem yourself. Lloyd was able to totally redeem himself, right? So that's kind of what we think about, like, when we redeem something, well, we can redeem ourselves. But the biblical definition of redeem has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. And so we need to take a little bit of a deeper look into it. So the New Testament was originally written in Greek, so we need to find out what that word redeem means in the Greek, Okay. There's four words in the Greek, and listen to me. I've taught some Greek before, 
And usually what happens is people are like, you know, Greek, Hebrew, what? Listen to me. I think that if you just lock in and pay attention to this, it's going to bless you in ways that you may have never been blessed before as it relates to this word redeem, okay? So stay locked in. And I want to let you know, you know, I, I got a lot of this from a pastor named Robert Morris. I saw a message that he did on this that I absolutely love, and I'm just so thankful for good Bible teachers, and I want to teach it to you now. Here it is. Four Greek words for redeem. The first one is this. Agorazo. Agorazo. And it means the marketplace for slaves. Revelation 5 Verse 9 says this, and they sang a new song. Now they're singing to Jesus, and they say, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us. That word right there is agarazo. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now it's extremely difficult. I understand this. It is extremely, extremely difficult for us to talk about slavery because... It is such an abomination, and I actually believe it is the worst and greatest atrocity that our world has ever seen. Slavery took place in biblical times. Slavery took place in our country not so long ago. And currently, there's still slavery that takes place. It's called the sex trafficking business or the sex slave business. And it is the greatest human atrocity, in my opinion, that we've ever faced. So I understand that it's difficult to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it. Humans owning and selling other humans is absolutely despicable. We all know this. Uh, but in biblical times, it was a reality, and it's still a reality today. So in each uh, instance where there was slavery, even in our own country, there was slave auctions that took place. Um, it was absolutely dehuman dehumanizing to every single slave that was a part of this. Uh, and I actually read something this morning that I'm going to share with you guys about a slave auction that took place in Savannah, Georgia in 1859. It says this, in early March of 1859, an enormous slave auction took place at a race course. It's a horse race course. Three miles outside of Savannah, Georgia. 436 slaves were to be put on the auction block. An auction block was literally a platform that they had to come and stand on in front of everybody. They had to be put on this auction block, including men, women, children, and infants. Word of the sale had spread through the South for weeks, drawing potential buyers from North and South Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, Alabama, and Louisiana. All of Savannah's available hotel rooms and any other lodging spaces were quickly filled by the influx of visitors. In the days running up to the auctions, daily excursions were made from the city to the race course to inspect, evaluate, and determine an appropriate bid for the human merchandise on display. Slaves remained at the race course, some of them for more than a week, and all of them for four days before the sale. They were brought in this early so that buyers who desired to inspect them might enjoy that privilege, although none of them were sold for private sale. These preliminary days, for these preliminary days, they're shed. They stayed in sheds. 
was constantly visited by speculators. The slaves were examined with as little consideration as if they had been animals indeed. The buyers pulling their mouths open to inspect their teeth, pinching and hitting their limbs to find how muscular they were, sometimes whipped to test their strength. Buyers would walk them up and down to detect any signs of lameness, making them stoop and bend in different ways that they might be certain that there was no concealed ruptures or wounds on their body. In addition to all this treatment, mocking them and asking them scores of questions relative to their qualifications and accomplishments was common. In other accounts, it's actually said that women, and even young women, were forced to disrobe until they were naked before the auctioneers. That is what the marketplace for slaves looked like in our own country not too long ago, as well as in biblical times. So here's the question. Why in the world would God choose to use this word, agorazo, entering into the marketplace of slaves to describe our redemption? It's a good question, right? Philippians 2.7 says this. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Jesus, God of the universe, became a slave, entered into the marketplace for slaves, and he was beaten, he was mocked, he was whipped, he was also forced to disrobe until he was naked, and then he was brutally murdered by death on a cross. And he endured all of that so that you and I could stand here and sit here completely redeemed. Oh, yeah, you can clap for that. That's a good time. That, that's, that's a real good time. Second Greek word for redeemed is this, ex agarazo, which means out of the marketplace for slaves. Out of. Ex means out of. Agarazo. Same word as, as number one with just the prefix X, which means out of the marketplace. So Galatians 3.13, we covered this scripture last week. Christ redeemed, he ex us, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus became a slave and entered into the slave market to take us out of the slave market. Now we must all understand something tonight, okay? We were all at once at one time of our lives, we were all slaves to sin. It's talking about spiritual matters here, right? We were all slaves to sin. And if you're here and you'll say, you know, well, you know, I don't think I've ever uh, uh, actually been a slave to sin. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been real good my whole life. Let me just tell you something. That's called pride, and uh, that's a sin. And so you might be a slave to, to pride, okay? And, and so that means you might be a slave to sin tonight. So, uh, Tuesday came around, and I brought this topic up at our, at our leadership, at our access leadership team meeting over in the olive tree, and I asked them, because I started to think about that, you know, kind of what I was a slave to sin, you know, what did that mean in my life? And, and then I got to thinking, you know what, I think everybody's walking, we all look, we're all so different. I mean, look at each other. Take a moment and look at each other for a minute. 
Look how different we are from one another. You can look at the second person that you just don't like as much. That's cool. But we are all different from one another. We have different likes, and, and, and we're completely, utterly unique, which is so beautiful. But I asked our team, I said, hey, what, is, what did that look like for you guys? You know, slaves to sin. What did that actually look like to you guys? And the responses that I got were actually really interesting because their, their, uh, their take on it was a whole lot different than mine was in my life. And I heard things like this come out. Um, one of our team members um, was, was really, really a slave to shame and guilt and condemnation. This, this certain team member went to a church and was raised in a church where it was, don't do this, don't do that, you can't wear this, you can only wear this. It was very legalistic, and many of you went to churches like that where it was all about what you do. It was not about your relationship with God, and you had that preacher that had like a 15-inch finger just pointing at you, you know what I'm saying? Don't do this, and next week we'll come back and see if your behavior changed, you know? And you were like, God, can we put 12 days in between next Sunday? Like, I don't want to go back to that church. And all of that brought, all that brought to this team member was shame and guilt and condemnation. Some people have become slaves to religion. Others, you know, there was another team member that talked about uh, a sense of unworthiness. And, and he described it this way. He said, you know, I, got, I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ at a very early age, but because I felt so unworthy my whole life, you know, living, trying to live out this Christian life and trying to just be good enough at doing this Christian thing and following Jesus thing, I never felt like I was good enough, so I waited till I was 26 years old before I got baptized. I don't know what it is for you, but for some of us, if you're like me, it's slaves to addictions, to, to pride, to, to lust. Maybe you were young, like me, in, in elementary school, and you saw on TV because you stayed up a little bit too late, and maybe somebody that you knew, a family member or someone else, had HBO or Skinamax, and you saw something, and you watched something that you shouldn't have, and it gave you thoughts that led to actions and more actions and led you into deeper and deeper and deeper and darker places in your life, and you became an abuser of women. You, you became a slave to lust, to pornography, to these things that so captured and enamored your soul that you couldn't get out of it. We have all, every single one of us in this room, been a slave to sin at one point in time or another. It just looks different for each of us. Are we clear? Romans 6 says it this way. Some of us just don't realize it. And it says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? So you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, hence Adam and Eve. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. It gets good, though. Here's the answer. But thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching that we have given you, and you are now free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Yeah. Amen. Jesus redeemed, he ex-agarazoed us from slavery to sin, and now we get to choose to do things his way.
righteously. Third thing is this, lutrosis. This is the third Greek word for redeem, lutrosis, and it means the full payment of a slave. Hebrews 9.12 says it this way, with his own blood, the blood of Jesus, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption, our lutrosis forever. Jesus once and for all time, say forever, forever secured your redemption by spilling his blood on the cross. He lutrosis us. He set us free, gave us the full payment of slavery. Four, number four is this, apo lutrosis. The full payment of a slave's freedom. Now in the Greek, the prefix here, you see it, it's apo. Apo in the Greek actually means to return something to its original state. Jesus did not just buy us back so that we could be his slave. Jesus bought us back to return us to our original state. What is the original state that he's talking about? Galatians chapter four, verse seven. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. What was God's original plan? For us to be sons and daughters of his. That is the original state, that you and I get to be sons and daughters of God the Most High. Jesus stepped in and paid a penalty, paid a bill and paid something that we could not pay so that we could get into right standing and right relationship with God. Lutrosis. Just about a year ago, and, and, and don't mind the, the worship team, we're, uh, we're gonna end by worshiping one more song. Uh, so they're just gonna get prepped up, but I want you to, to hone into this story because I think it'll help us to see this in such a way that might help you to connect with what Jesus really did for us, okay? So about a, I don't know, it was maybe a year, year and a half ago, I was at the house. My wife and I had put the kids down to sleep. We went to sleep, and it was about 12.30 at night. We're dead asleep. Well, we're alive asleep, okay? <laughs> and all of a sudden, we hear this crash down, you know, down in the living room and this, 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 this huge noise, and it just went, and it sounded like somebody was downstairs in our living room. So I grabbed my shotgun, and I told my wife, I said, I said, and, am, I, am I a pastor with a shotgun? Yes. Deal with it. Deal with it. <laughs> um, so I grabbed my shotgun, right? I looked at my wife and I said, honey, stay right here. Don't you move. Make sure the kids are safe, you know. So, you know, I whispered it though. Baby, stay here. I'm going to go deal with this. <laughs> you would have done it too. You know that's right. You know, my heart was pounding though. <laughs> Stay here, I'm gonna take care of this. You're gonna be okay. So I take the, you know, the shotgun downstairs because any any husband that truly loves his wife, that loves his bride, will die for her if necessary. So I was willing to put myself in harm's way. So I come down the steps, I turn the corner, you know, and I did one of these for a minute, like, oh God, please let there be nobody here. 
And if there is, just evaporate them before I turn this corner. You know, so I got my gun and I come around and I turn and there was nobody there. A painting had fallen off, you know, so yeah, you thought it was going to get better. It didn't. It's, that was it. That was it. But here's the deal. I was willing to put my life on the line for my wife and my children. What's the point? The point is this, is that someone did come into Adam and Eve's house and stole something. What did they steal? Stole something, stole the inheritance that they were supposed to receive, which is just simply being God's son and daughter. And let me remind you that Adam and Eve were the bride of Christ. Let me remind you that we are the bride of Christ. So what if a conversation like this took place in heaven after the fall of Adam and Eve? Let's say God came to Jesus and said this, son, I am so sorry to tell you what has happened, but your bride has sinned and has to die. It's a spiritual death. Jesus, like any good husband, probably would have said something like this to God. God, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I don't want her to die. And then maybe God responded and says, well, son, there's, there's nothing I can do about it. The wage of sin, as you know, is, is death. There's nothing that I can do about it. To which Jesus may have responded, okay, I think there's something that I can do about it. I will go die for my bride. I'll go. Dad, I'll die for her so that they can live. My bride can live. And he came, and this is exactly what Jesus did. If you're not getting it, I hope you get it right now. Jesus entered into the marketplace for slaves. He ransomed us out of the slave market, and then he paid the full price for each of us, lutrosis us, and not just so that we could be his slave, but that he, can re he wanted to return us to our original state. And what is our original state? We get to be sons and daughters of God. Amen? That's what Jesus did. It doesn't get much better than that, friends. But it might for you. Because redemption is always meant to be experienced, not just talked about. That is the grace of God put on display by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Says this now. Romans 6, 6 through 11. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. Give me some keys. <laughs> Woo! Come on, Jasmine. 
Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, which was a decisive end to that sin, miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. And what we believe is this, is that if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brought God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language to you. And it means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God because of what Jesus did. That is what Jesus did. Now, the name of, the name of this particular ministry is Access. The title of tonight's message is Access Redemption. I've never mentioned this from stage before in three years, but here's where the, the name access for this ministry, the, the name of this ministry came out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, and it says this. For through him, Jesus, we all, it says we both, it's talking about the Jew and the non-Jew, which means everybody. We all have access by one spirit to the Father. The redemption, when Jesus redeemed you out of that life of sin-miserable slavery, it was so that you could have access to your heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit anytime you want. Anytime you want. This is good news. The only reason that we exist as a ministry is so that people just like you and I with paths like you and I get to come in here and we get to talk about God, we get to learn more about Jesus Christ, and the one reason that we exist here at Access, let me be plain and simple, is to grow closer and closer to Jesus Christ and to God the Father, do you hear me? We don't exist to help you find a, a, a mate that has happened here. If it happens all, you know, while you're attending, then great. We've had like six people get married here, it's awesome, but listen, this is not a dating service. Do you hear me? We are here to draw closer and closer to God our Father through the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what we're going to talk about next week. Life in the Holy Spirit. Life by the Spirit of God. It could be life-changing for every single one of you in this room. Stand with me. Come on. Somebody give Jesus Christ a hand that he deserved. Maybe some shouting up in here. Amen. We're going to worship one more song. It's called No Longer Slaves. Maybe some of you know it. Maybe some of you don't. But it captures the heart of this very message, what redemption truly looks like and what it means for all of us. And here's something. Listen to me. Nobody moving. Nobody moving. I want to say something because I know that there's people in here that are ready to put their faith in Jesus Christ. I know that. But I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I am not going to ask you to come up front to an altar ministry team because the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are just as much at the back of the room as they are in the front. Okay? He's omnipresent. So, that means he's everywhere. That's like slang. You know, church slang. But listen, if you're ready to make that decision, it's super clear biblically what that looks like. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You'll be redeemed and you'll receive the grace of God and you'll be empowered to live this life we call Christianity. If that's you, God knows your heart. You can make that decision right where you are at. Do you hear me? 
You don't need me to lead you in a prayer. There is no prayer of salvation. Anyone who wants to call on the name of the Lord will be saved and set free from yourself. You can do that tonight. And then for everyone else, for the rest of us who have already made that decision, which is the majority of us, I love you and I'm so proud of you. I love you and I'm so proud of you. I thank you for showing up because I'm sure there's other things that are vying for your time. There's other voices that are vying for your time, but you need to hear the voice of God, amen? I'm so glad that you guys are here and for the rest of us, listen to me. We don't come to church to be entertained. Why are you not entertained? You remember that from the gladiator? All the dudes are like, yeah, man, I know that. The girls are like, no, I don't know. Listen, you don't come here to be entertained. We come here to get closer to God. And by the way, when we come to the sanctuary, we get to meet with and to speak with God. It's a conversation that we get to have. So when we worship now, let's not just make this some ritual. Make sure that you're connecting with God in the worship and let him speak to your spirit. Let him speak to your heart tonight. What is God saying to you? It's a simple question. Take some time to listen. Prayer is a two-way conversation. You should be hearing something in your spirit, maybe in your mind. You might get a picture. You might get a thought. And if it sounds like God, then it probably is God, okay? You just grab a hold of it and say, yes, Lord, I'll take that as you. We hope you enjoyed the message from Kurt Ains this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at AccessROLC, and be sure to swing out Thursday nights at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Resurrection Life Church.